We're going to continue to go through Nehemiah today, specifically in chapter 5, what David just read. But uh, I think that this is a special time for us as a church, uh, that, we get to, that we get to see this, uh, this rebuilding of, of the city and of God's people and uh, bringing them up from the ashes. So, uh, so we're going to pick up today from a, a, pretty, desperate, a pretty desperate time. And uh, just a small recap kind of on what's, what's going on so far in, in the book of Nehemiah and, and what's taking place so far. Uh, Nehemiah hears about the, the condition of Jerusalem uh, while, while he's in Susa, the, the, Persian, the, the capital of Persia. And uh, so, he, so he hears about this and, and he, starts to, he starts to pray and to fast for months because his heart is broken for the people. Of, of Jerusalem and, and that the, their city is in shambles. And we learn that while he's doing this, he's also planning to go to Jerusalem. He's also planning to see what, what God would want for him to do. And uh, then he goes and he makes this bold request before the king, before Artaxerxes. And he says he wants to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall. And that's something that, that could have gotten him killed. So he makes a very bold request in, in wanting to go to this place, to Jerusalem, to rebuild. And so then he goes and he takes the journey to Jerusalem and uh, he starts to uh, secretly evaluate and inspect the wall and he wants to, to, see, to see what's going on, to see what, what kind of ruins he's dealing with and he rallies up the people uh, to, be able to, to be able to rebuild this wall. And so he tells them of his plans and immediately he's met with opposition. We meet people like uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and uh, some of the people that were talked about last week in, in David's sermon. And so we get to know the people of, of Jerusalem, the people, the, the people of God in chapter 3, how they're coming together each on, on their separate sections of the wall and how they're working to rebuild the wall and working to, uh, together to be able to, to build these sections. And then chapter 4, we jump into opposition, and, and we see that, that Sanballat and Tobiah those guys have, have met up with others and have devised plans to attack Jerusalem, and they're surrounding them on all sides. And so the opposition increases, and, and things are starting to look, uh, to look desperate for the people of Jerusalem. And so the, then their enemies find out about this. Uh, the, the construction stops, and it's, and it's time to fight. So Nehemiah stops construction. He says, okay, it's, it's time for us to, to get ready for battle and to get ready to, uh, to defend our, our city. And so uh, when, the, when this happens, the enemies find out about this, how their plans have been, have been messed up and how things had taken place like, like that. And so they don't attack. And so now these people are working on the wall, and it says that some of them were even working with their tools in one hand and with their swords and their defense mechanisms in the other hand. So this is a, it's an understatement to say that these are pretty stressful times for these people. Like, things are, things are taking place in this city that, that are very stressful at this time. And in the midst of all of this stressful, this stressful situation of, of being pushed from the outside in, we see in chapter 5 that there's an internal struggle. And so we start, to, we start to see this internal struggle taking place among, among the people. And so starting in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, or actually in verse 2, we see the, we see the outcry from, from the people of Jerusalem. And, and this is the Jewish people with an outcry of, 
uh, of the other Jewish people, the, the, the nobles and the officials, the people, the people that, are, uh, that are the leaders in this community are taking advantage of these people. So let's, let's look and, and see about this. So verse 2, it says, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So, so we got a lot of kids here, and we got to be able to feed these kids. And uh, so we need, to, we need to stay alive. We need to get this grain. We need, to, we need to be able to eat. I mean, we need to be able to provide for ourselves. So then the second outcry, uh, it's, it's verse 3. It's, there were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. So lots of kids, they got lots of kids, and they've got a famine taking place in the city. Uh, things are not good for the, for the farmers, for the people growing uh, the crops in the community. And so there's a major shortage of food here. So when famine comes in and there's less food, obviously there's higher demand, and so there's the, the food price goes up. And so these people are finding themselves into a, in a situation where they're, they're selling all they have to be able to just provide food for their families. So this is a, we're coming into a desperate time. So in verse 4, they kind of expound on that a little bit. Uh, they say, it says, And there were those who said, We've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it's not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So most of the people, or I would say some of the people in, in this community, work in the agricultural occupation. So that's, that's, what, that's what they do. That's how, that's how they make a livelihood is, is to grow crops. And so when this famine's here, and plus these people are helping to build the wall. They're, they're in the city of Jerusalem. They're, they're helping to, to build the wall to, to fortify the city against attack from the enemy. And so not only, we, we find out that not only is this an issue, but they're also having to pay the king's tax. And so they're coming, to a, they're coming to a situation where they have to be able to borrow money to pay the king's tax. And so these circumstances are really causing them to fall behind. And so uh, the wealthier individuals in the community, like the nobles and the officials, uh, instead of helping, instead of uh, doing what they, were, what they were supposed to do and giving freely to these people, were taking advantage of the situation. So they were, they were looking at this situation as, a, as an ability to make gains for themselves. So they take a desperate situation, and they make it worse because they charge interest to these people. Not only are they giving them money and uh, expecting return, but they're also charging interest to these people. And uh, just from some of the studies, uh, some, of the, some of the things that I studied, it, it said that uh, like an average interest rate for this would be like 50%. And so we're talking massive amounts of debt that these people are going into uh, just to be able to provide food for themselves and to take money out for a tax that's going to be taken from them anyway. So uh, and in the Jewish law in uh, Deuteronomy 23, uh, verse 19, it uh, forbids the charging of interest of, other, of Jews to other Jews. And so it says, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. So then they brought it to a worse level. Now these people are having to sell their fields, sell everything that they have to these people, and they're also enslaving their children. And so 
a situation that, that is already terrible. These people are getting every bit of their money taken away from them, but they're also getting their children taken. And these people are actually, we find out later, that they're actually selling their children to other countries in order for Nehemiah to have to buy them back. And so uh, this is, these people are truly powerless. And, that, I mean, they say in verse 5 that it, it's not in our power to help it. Like, this is the definition of oppressed, like people that, that have absolutely no power, that have no ability to, to reconcile the situations that they're in. So this is the type of desperate situation, the desperation that, that these people are coming from here in their, in their cries to Nehemiah. And, uh, and on a side note, just a, just a little side note pretty quickly, uh, these people are not people that are just sitting back, sitting on their hands. Like, these are people that are working. They're actively working. They're, first of all, they're Jews. They're, they're God's chosen people. They're the people that God has orchestrated to, to rebuild this, this city and to, to, re, to redo the things that were, that were taking place in the past. And second of all, these people are not lazy. They're not people that are expecting this. These are people that are working, but they're, they're doing things that are, that, are a lot, that are not allowing them to be able to make the money that they would normally make. And plus, there's, there's a famine going on. And so, so we got to think about this when we're looking at the context of this chapter. And so then we see Nehemiah's response. In verse 6, he says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And uh, like last week, uh, we can see some of, like, like last week David was talking, we can see some of Nehemiah's raw emotions. He becomes angry here, and he, and he says that. But I believe that that is a, that he, he's right to be actually angry about this. Like this should stir up something in him, and this should stir up something in us to be, to be angry about injustices that are taking place around us. And so... Uh, Nehemiah says that he's angry, but he also, uh, before he acts on anything, he, he does this in verse 7. He says, I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you're exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. So he carefully measures out his thoughts. He carefully thinks about what he's going to say. And then he holds an assembly and he starts, to, he starts to really rip these guys. He starts to get on to them. And so even in his anger, he can carefully consider what, what he's going to say. And so, uh, you know, we see the injustices that are taking place here. Like, just like we were talking about earlier, these people are to the point where he's like, you're, so you're really going to take these people out of, out of Jerusalem, you're going to take their kids, and you're going to sell them to other countries so that, we, so that I'll have to go back and buy them? Because Nehemiah was, was actually going and, and buying the enslaved Jewish people in order to free them so that they could, so that they could come back and be a part of, of their community. And so he calls the assembly together, and he starts to tell these guys this thing. And then he says in verse 8, he says, They were silent and could not find a word to say. Because that's what, silent, that's what people do when they're guilty. They can't say anything. They're silenced. So I said, The thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. 
Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. So Nehemiah goes directly to the heart of the problem here. I mean, he, he's not cutting any corners. He's going straight to it, and he's, he's telling these people exactly what, what needs to happen. And so, but it's interesting the way that he approaches this, and I hope you, I hope you didn't miss this, but if you did, uh, just like in chapter 2, that we see, we see in chapter 2 that Nehemiah inserts himself into the problem. He says, let us build, let us rebuild this city, and he, and he starts to, he, he makes it about all of them and includes himself, and here he does the same. He says, look, even though, you know, he says, it's definitely wrong that you charge interest to these people and that you're, uh, that you're oppressing them and that you're putting them into, into slavery. Put, you're putting their kids into slavery. Like, come on, are you serious? But also, we have been, me, I and my servants have been lending money to people as well. And we shouldn't be doing that. We should be giving freely. So I'm going to include myself in this in saying that we all need to stop this. He says, let us abandon this exacting of interest and return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and, all, and everything that they have. So Nehemiah is involved in the problem, and he wants to be a part of, of, the, of fixing the problem. So he says, give generously to your brothers and sisters around you, because they're your brothers and sisters. They're, they're God's people, just like you. And so a big thing he's communicating here, he's saying, we're a holy nation. We're Israel. And we're set apart by God. We're the nation whom God chose to tell his story through. So what kind of example are we setting as the people of God? I mean, the people of the other nations, they're obviously seeing this. They're seeing what's happening internally. They see that you're, they may not see that you're charging interest on your own people and that you're taking their land, but they definitely see that you're selling their kids. You know, you're selling your kids, your, your own Jewish kids to them. And so, uh, but he says, if you have fear and reverence for the Lord, like if you understand his character and his nature, you're going to stop exhorting your brothers and sisters, and you're going to, and you're going to move on from this and give them what is rightfully theirs. And so if they, if they're in need and they don't have the means, give it to them, you know, give it to them freely. And then the other people of, of the other nations will see you and they will see how you're set apart, and they'll see God through you. And so how true is this of the, of the nature and character of God universally? So, I mean, we can, we can take this, and we, can, and we can see that he is concerned for the oppressed. We can see that he's concerned for those who are without hope, the physically poor, and the individuals who are vulnerable. So it's especially interesting to me that, that I got to preach on Nehemiah 5 because God has really been working on my heart lately about, about these issues, about social injustices and, and things that are going on around here, uh, just specifically with justice and how, how that relates with, uh, with the grace of God and how we don't truly understand the grace of God until we, until we can fight for justice for the individuals around us. And so he's really opened my eyes to that lately. And uh, really, in following Jesus Christ, in following who he is, it is absolutely, it has to be evident that we understand grace when we act justly toward one another. 
And so we can see this theme throughout Scripture. Uh, I'm going to give a New Testament example here. Uh, In the book of Luke, chapter 11, uh, verses 37 through 42, uh, we see Jesus encountering the Pharisees. And uh, he's going to to a dinner with the Pharisees. And he says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisee, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And also in Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about differentiating between the ones he calls sheep and the ones he will call goats, and by the way that the people respond to the least of these, by the way that they respond to the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick and the imprisoned. Like these are the people that, that Jesus is, is talking about here. So he's really been gripping my heart on this in, in many ways. He's been uh, showing me that, that, like I said earlier, without, without, uh, without justice, we can't truly understand grace. And so uh, I've been reading a book, actually. It's uh, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. And it was one of the required books for our uh, Kenya team, right, wasn't it? And uh, I, w- I would definitely recommend that, that you read this because this has really opened my eyes to, to, who, uh, to, to Christ's character and, and, what he, and what he wants for us to do. But I have a little quote out of here really quickly that, that uh, Tim Keller says. He says, Justice is not just one more thing that needs to be added to the people's portfolio of religious behavior. A lack of justice is a sign that the worshippers' hearts are not right with God at all, that their prayers and that their religious observances are just filled with self and pride. So, so he's expounding on this truth that God's grace draws us toward doing justice and how they're not mutually exclusive, how they're, how they're actually one in the same. And so he's been, he's been really showing me lately that I need to wake up to situations around around our community and around this world, actually. Um, and I mean, church, if you want to see an example of oppression, like if you want to see an example of people being oppressed, like it's not difficult to find. Walk outside, walk into your community. Like there's, there's people around that are, that are being taken advantage of uh, in different ways, obviously, maybe not to the extent of, of Nehemiah here, but, but there's there's some serious injustice that's taking place. And so, uh, I mean, what, what drives this? What, what drives these, these injustices that are taking place? Uh, definitely greed, I would say, would be the, would be the first thing. Just a, a willingness to want uh, to, want to have more and, and kind of the American dream of, of having more and acquiring things uh, at anyone's expense. Um. Uh, and then also, I think what we see in Nehemiah is a sense of false comfort. These people are in a struggling time, in a situation where, where things, are, 
taking place that, that may not be beneficial to, to everyone. And so they want to, to gather up goods at the expense of their brothers just so that they don't have to worry about, about what's going to happen to them. They don't have to worry about going without eating or going without anything else. They, they want to be comfortable. They want to have all of the comforts that take place with that. So then we talk, then we see the, uh, the people who are being targeted. So the people, so there's people around here in, uh, and in every place that, that are being targeted and being oppressed. So uh, one of, what causes these people to be targeted and, and some of the things that take place that, that causes them to be oppressed? Uh, it may be a lack of income, like we see in Nehemiah, the inability to, to overcome rough times and to, uh, to deal with situations, you know, like famine or, or with things, uh, you know, here it may be uh, somebody being laid off of a job or, or something taking place that, that would cause somebody not to be able to, to get an income. Uh, also, a lack of education. For instance, people making good financial decisions, things, uh, being able to being able to see, have a knowledge and skill set to, uh, to see simple things like, like simple interest and understanding loans and things like that. So people, people are often taken advantage of through things uh, of, this situ- of these situations. And then also, we don't want to forget about vulnerability. Like, there's an estimated, and I know you've heard this statistic before, but the IJM, the International Justice Mission, is fighting. Uh, for an estimated 27 million people that are sold into slavery. And this is including women and children, people who are overpowered physically, who are taken advantage of mentally and emotionally, and who are just completely wrecked. Like people who are just completely overwhelmed and, and taken over. And so, and also... We don't want to forget about our brothers and sisters around the globe who are in, a, in an oppressive place geograph- geographically. And so we see people that are dealing with corrupt rulers and, and corrupt situations around the world that maybe we don't, we don't have to deal with directly here in the United States, but this is still an issue. Uh, corrupt political leaders are taking advantage of, of these people and, and are making them into the people that we see in Nehemiah, the the downtrodden, the poor, and the oppressed. So we forget that that takes place sometimes. And, and until we place it upon ourselves to seek justice for these people, to give generously to those in need, and obviously, like, like we talk about here, to, to help without hurting, but to empower individuals to be able to do these things and to provide for themselves, to train people, to give them a certain skill set, uh, to be, able to, to be able to do simple math, to be able to understand when they're being taken advantage of in uh, financial situations, to understand what's, what's taking place, and, uh, and to work as advocates to free those who are physically and mentally and emotionally uh, taken advantage of, to, to help with uh, international justice mission or with smaller organizations that, that work to free Slavery to free people from slavery to free people from the bondage of, of the chains that are that are holding them down, and so it, it all comes down to this: that we have to be willing to get our hands and feet dirty. Like we have to be willing to go out into the community because we're not going to see oppression if we just sit where we are. We're not going to see this, and, and it's not going to be evident to us. Just like 
just like me, uh, you know, before, before reading this and before, you know, God really breaking my heart for this, like, I, you know, you don't, you don't think about it. You don't, see, you don't see it directly in front of you, so you don't think about it. And so we have to, we have to get out. We have to engage, and we have to be able to truly understand God's grace. We have to strive for justice for these individuals. So, I mean, it, and it could be even smaller injustices. One of the things I was thinking about uh, just kind of while I was preparing this sermon uh, is Heather and I went to, uh, went to buy a car uh, a few weeks ago, and, and I'm not trying, to, not trying to say anything about car dealers or anything like that. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just talking about a specific situation that I had, and it was nowhere around here, so, so don't worry about it. But, uh, yeah, so we were going to buy, you know, trade in, trade in the old sports car and, and get an SUV because, you know, kids may be coming soon. We don't know. But anyway, <laughs> my mom's like, yes. <laughs> but, uh, so we're, we're going to trade in this car, and, and we're just talking to the, uh, to the salesman. And I, I can see certain situations. And when he, when he was talking, I mean, he was saying things really quickly and trying to, trying to get some things past us and, and trying, to, uh, trying to make us pay more for the vehicle, obviously, because that's the, that's the bargaining game. But I, and I was I was starting to think like if I if I didn't understand like what he was talking about like simple like like math and interest and, and things like that if if I didn't understand that then he would definitely be able to take advantage of me in, at this point right here and, and I really think that that in in those situations a lot of times people people do people are taken advantage of uh, they're they're made to pay bigger payments over longer periods of time, even though it might not look like that, even though they're paying a monthly payment that's, that's a little bit lower, they're paying over a longer period of time, and their car actually depreciates to the, fact where, to the, to the point where it, it doesn't even matter anymore. They're just paying more for nothing, basically. And so I can see, I mean, that's just one of the small examples I was thinking of. I'm sure you can think of many examples of oppression that, that we can see and of, uh, you know, kind of injustices like social injustices that are taking place. So we see that God is concerned with, the, with justice for his people, and that's, that's the key, I think, that Nehemiah is trying to, uh, that we can see through this. So back to Nehemiah, when he, uh, when he confronts the nobles and officials, they're, they're ashamed, and they respond in this way. So let's see their response. It says, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then Nehemiah says, and I called the priests, excuse me, and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So the people are called out for their injustices. And in this situation, it actually ends pretty well. The people are restored. The things are restored to the people that, that, that they're owed to. Uh, and of course, Nehemiah calls down God's wrath on anybody that, that doesn't do this. And so, I mean, we've got a serious situation going on, but they give back their land. They give back their children and their interest charged and everything that's owed to them. And then we see that things are rightly restored because the people begin to praise God. And I love how that ends there. Like, when justice is met, when things are taken care of, when, when uh, injustices are served, 
the people come together and they praise God. And so that's what we're here to do, church. We're here to make much of God in the neighborhoods and in the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. We've, we've, <laughs> we ratify injustices and we take the, <laughs> the, the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden should be our key concerns. So then in the last section of this passage, we see that Nehemiah's example of his leadership. So his, so his leadership is, is kind of what we see here. Uh, and this is where Nehemiah discusses the things that he did for the people. So in verse 15, he talks about the, uh, the former governors who had laid burdens on the people. He talks about how he didn't take the allowance that was given to him. Actually, he could have charged, he would have been rightful, rightful to charge a tax to these people to be able to, uh, to, be able to pay for, for his food and his expenses because he's the governor. But he was, he was just in the fact that he did not do that. That he, that he didn't expect this from the people because the people were already oppressed. He didn't want to oppress them more. And so he shows us here that, that he is a just governor and that he wants the people to follow his example of leadership. And uh, like we talked about, if you, if you want people to follow your leadership, then, then do more, you know, do above the expectation. So he had the opportunity also to buy land cheaply. I mean, this is... This is prime time for uh, people that want to buy land because everybody's having to give up their land because they owe money to everybody. But Nehemiah said, no, we, this, is, this is not what I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not making it a point to oppress these people to buy their land. So he lets them keep their money and keep their land. And then I like how he, I like how he ends this. He says, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done. So, you know, I was thinking at first, like, okay, Nehemiah's kind of bragging on himself a little bit. But I think after, after kind of studying through it a little bit more and, and consulting with some people, like, I really think that what Nehemiah is saying is that, God, I've, I've given away what I have. I, I've, done, I've done everything that, that I can do to provide for the people. I mean, he even says in the last part of the chapter that, that I prepare food at the table for, uh, let's see, he says 150 men. And so... I've done all that I can do, so God, I need you to be able to provide for me. Like, if you don't provide for me, then I'm done, because I, I'm being just in providing for, all, for everyone else. So when we look at this chapter as a whole, uh, I think a lot of times we're tempted to see uh, who Nehemiah is. We're tempted to see his character and say, oh man, that was good. He, he did a good job there. That was great that he that he ratified this injustice, that he, that he took the part of, of uh, you know, taking over what the, what, the oppre- what the people were oppressing and what the people were doing. But I don't think that that's the final thing that we should be able to see from this. So, uh, so when he's fighting for justice and going above and beyond, uh, we need to look past that and we need to see the, the major theme here, uh, the major thing that's being communicated here. And just like we talk about in Bible study methods class all the time, uh, we need to see the uppercase A author's intent. We need to see God's intent on this. And uh, I think what we can see through this is that a true understanding and a fear of who God is always leads us to justice, being sought for the people, for the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the, uh, 
the people of God, the least of these, the ones that, that he truly cares about. And so we can look at Nehemiah as an example, but in order to be transformed, we need to fix our eyes on the, on the person and on the character of Jesus Christ, on who he is. We, see, we can see so many examples of how he goes uh, before people and, and frees the oppressed and helps to, uh, to take the cause of the widow and the orphan and, and those who are, and those who are uh, the least of these how he took on the shame of mankind and the wrath of God, and how he was buried and rose again, and he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Like, this is the person we should be fixing our eyes on. And this is the person that is going to help us to be able to, to, be able to take these injustices and to, to help with this. So I would encourage you uh, today, before we, uh, you know, as we're closing and, and as things are wrapping up, to pray that his Holy Spirit would guide you to be able to see, uh, to be able to ask some questions to yourself, to be able to evaluate your heart and to, to see what, what injustices do I see around me? What capacity and ability do I, do I have to be able to care for the people that are involved in these injustices? And then also, how do I show God's grace by acting justly and loving mercy in this community and throughout the world. And I know that's going to look different for everyone. And I know that's going to be, it's going to be completely different in each person's case. But I just pray that today, that, uh, that as we close, that you would, that you would begin to, to think about those things and, and ask God to, to open your heart to this issue of, of justice. So uh, let's pray.